Well, happy Thanksgiving. I uh, hope you guys had a, a great holiday, got to spend time with family, maybe make some memories, eat too much food. Probably you got your stretchy pants on today still. Um, hopefully the cops weren't called, you know. But how, how about the, the game last night, huh? That was something. If you're wondering what game, you're probably a soccer fan. And, uh, you know, who cares about the, the World Cup? I mean, we're talking about real football here. I mean, what even is soccer? I'm sorry, but a game where you can't use your hands, it's just silly. You know, let's, let's be honest. Um, whether you realize it or not, our, our church is in an exciting time right now. You know, we went through five weeks of Project One, and it kind of culminated in that Commitment Sunday. So many people going all in, and Mark mentioned this, but I want to draw your attention to it again. Next week is the first big give we're sharing uh, the, the totals of those Project One commitments. So we want yours to be included in that. So you've got a little bit more time to do that. But I also want to say something else. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. You're going to want to be here next week because we have a big, big announcement to make. If you love the city, if you tell everybody you know, if they attended once or twice, they're going to want to be here to hear uh, some big news. That's all I'm going to say about that. So today uh, we're, we're back in Luke. Uh, Matt did an awesome job last week. If you missed it, you can go back and watch it on the app. Uh, but we, we, we jumped back into the book of Luke and some things never change. We have the religious leaders of the day and people following them that had more and more and more questions for Jesus, more doubt. They were demanding more and more signs that he really was who that he, he claimed to be. And kind of the gist of last week was Jesus tells them the problem really isn't about the signs. The problem is with them and their, their unbelief. He, he calls them out. You see, Jesus constantly faced hostility from these Jewish religious leaders. There was kind of three different sects of them. There was uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. All right, the, the Sadducees, the Sadducees hated him in particular because of that one time he went into the temple and, and kicked them out, right? He turned the tables over and drove all the money changers out. He, the Sadducees were mad at him because that was their racket. That was how they, they made money. And so Jesus kicked them out and then they were sad, you see? All right, that was my one dad joke of the day. It didn't go over very well, but <laughs> they also hated him because he, he, had the audacity to forgive sin. He healed on the, the Sabbath. He hung out with the scum of the earth. He, he spent time with just the most notorious of sinners. He defended the disciples for breaking the Sabbath. But, but most of all, they hated him because he consistently exposed their hypocrisy. Their lack of true faith, true devotion to God. And their misleading and mistreating of the people that God loves. Now I want to draw your attention to something. Just, just remember, most of the time when Jesus calls out the Pharisees, we love to pile on and be like, yeah, yeah, get him, Jesus, or whatever. But we forget that most of the time when Jesus is talking to these religious leaders, he's also talking to us. We're on that, that side. So, so let's just keep that in mind as we go throughout today. He's talking right to us. And so last week, they're, they're demanding these signs. And he, he, he ends with this, this, this uh, phrase, this line, this is a wicked generation. And this week, 
In verse 33, he kind of continues making this point. And if you're just reading through, it kind of seems disconnected, right? Because he starts talking about light and sight and darkness and all this stuff. But he's further driving home the same point he's been making, this, this conversation that started way back in verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 33. If you don't uh, have one, it'll be on the screen, of course. You can open your app, the message notes in there, or the, the best way to kind of uh, stay connected to the sermon, fill in the blanks, and all the points are there, the quotes, everything's there for you. So, Luke eleven thirty three, Jesus says, No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you're filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. So Jesus here kind of launches into talking about light and sight and light and, and darkness and you know, light and darkness in the physical world, this is, this is a, a metaphor, kind of a doorway into understanding the concept of light and darkness in the spiritual world. Here, Jesus is using this metaphor for understanding divine truth. Light reveals, darkness conceals. So, so he's kind of making the point that, that failing to, to understand and apply the truth of the gospel is the reason that unrepentant sinners will one day face judgment. He's kind of trying to draw a distinction here. There's, there's light and there's darkness. There's no in between. And so let's kind of take this apart verse by verse, and then we'll have a couple of takeaways at the end. Verse 33. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. I tried to get Mark to do the song, you know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Yo, remember that song? That's where the song comes from. So Jesus, he, he, he likens his ministry to light. To light that's not, not just light, but it's light that's not hidden. It's, it's available for every, everybody to see. He himself is the light. And he's saying, I, I'm, I'm right here. You, you can see it. They wanted a sign. He's saying, listen, I am the sign. I'm the light. They accuse him of not providing enough proof. And he's, he's saying, listen, it would be foolish for me to, to hide myself. Like, I'm not withholding evidence from you. you you've seen all that I've done. You, you've seen who I've claimed to be. You've seen the signs and the wonders. And I'm telling you right now, I am the light. I am the evidence. In reality, they had more than enough proof. They had all the light they needed to see what was right in front of them. And as Matt talked about last week, the sign of Jonah, you know, they had way more evidence than the people of Nineveh did, who were pagans, who eventually believed on, on Jonah's kind of incomplete message. And the same with the queen of Sheba. She believed just based on Solomon's wisdom. He's saying, like, here I am right in front of you, and you can't even see you see, the, the issue isn't whether they had enough light. The issue is whether they had enough sight. Their eyes were closed. So the question is, like, will, will they receive the light or not? 
Verse 34, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. So in verse 33, the lamp is a metaphor for Jesus who shines on those who accept him. Here, the light becomes a metaphor for someone's reaction to Jesus. He starts talking about the eye. Now, the human eye is an absolutely incredible thing. I, I know you know this, right? But it's one of those things we, we, we take for granted. I, I nerded out a little bit this week doing some eye research. Okay, so I want to share some things with you here. To, to me, the, the human eye is enough to definitively believe in a creator. I mean, it, it's absolutely amazing. that the, There's no way this happened on accident. The images we see are made up of light reflected from object, objects that we look at. The light enters the eye through the cornea, which acts like a window at the front of the eye. Then you have the lens. That's this clear disc-like part of the eye that helps you focus light on the retina. And it's able to focus automatically through a reflex, right? It's not controlled by the brain. Then you have nerve impulses that carry information about that image to the brain through an optic nerve which is a collection of more than a million nerve fibers. And this is the coolest part to me. As the cornea bends light when it enters the eye, the brain receives images that are upside down, and so it turns them the right way up when it processes the information. Then you've got cones that help you see color and these rods that help you see at night, and, and on and on and on. The eye is an incredible organ. It's very, very, very sensitive. You ever get something in your eye? It'll ruin your whole life, right? Like I, I was doing a yard work one time and I got this, what ended up being like a, a piece, I, it felt like a huge stick was like under my eyelid, but it was like the tiniest piece of a dried leaf. And you can ask my wife, it ruined my day. I mean, I, I couldn't even like put a thought, I had to go to the clinic and get it flushed out. I mean, it was miserable, miserable. And some of you might know, you know, you're, um, eyesight, kind of one of the first things that starts to go when you start to, you know, get a little bit, bit older, you know, you start, you start getting that thing with your phone, you know, where you, your arms aren't quite long enough. To, like you, you start uh, for some reason, everybody looks down to like you're wearing bifocals when you're really not. My, my wife is starting to go down this road. You know, I had to, in, that's how you know it's happening to you. If you had to increase the, the font size on your phone, it's happening to you. Okay. It's plenty big enough already to see it. And if you're one of those like, hey, can you take this phone and walk across the room so I can, I can read it? Like, like your eyesight's starting to go. You know, you need to, get some, need to get some readers. Now, interesting note here. I, I, I think this is, this is the coolest thing. According to beliefs that were prevalent in those times, the eyes didn't function as, as allowing light to come in, but allowing the body's own light to go out. So they kind of had it. They kind of had it backwards, right? So the eye is the, the source of the light that makes sight possible. Now, of course, Jesus knows this isn't the way it works. He's God. He's the one that, that put it together. So he's using this, this huge metaphor, kind of coming down to their level, to their, according to their own understanding, meeting them where they are. Super, super cool. He's talking about the light that goes out from their eyes. He's saying that the eyes are the lamp of the body. The ability to see depends on the condition 
of the eye. When it's clear, the whole body is full of light. But when the eye is bad, the body is full of darkness. He gets to the heart of the issue here. The problem is not lack of light, but lack of sight. The light of truth was, was everywhere, but the spiritually blind cannot see it. They, re, they refuse to see it. He's proven he's God, but they, they reject it. You ever been in complete darkness? Like instant lights went out, it's dark. Like you, you can't, you start having to feel your way around. It's one of my favorite things, you know, getting up to get water in the middle of the night or something. We have a, I have a piano that sits right outside of our little hallway. And sometimes the piano bench gets left out. So guess what happens? My shin meets the piano bench, right? That's like my favorite way to wake up at three in the morning. Uh, uh, when, when you can't see anything around you, it really does kind of shut you down. I don't know if you've ever known someone who is physically blind. We used to have a gentleman that, that came here, Dr. Don. He sat right back there, and he's since uh, moved to a different city. But, you know, when, when someone is, is blind for a long time, they can kind of develop uh, skills and, and kind of adapt to help you kind of get around. Uh, it's pretty incredible, actually. But listen, when you're blind, your, your world is, is dark, Right? Like there's, there's a whole world around you that you, you can't quite experience like everyone else. Like you, you don't know what it's like to see. Now spiritually speaking, when your eyes are open, you, you, you see everything that was, that was hidden from you before. But those who reject him remain, remain in darkness. Now think about this. People that are physically blind, they... They may not be able to see, but they're at least, they at least know that they're blind, right? The spiritually blind can't see that they're blind. They can't see the truth. The light of, of God that's shining is completely obscured by eyes that are blinded by by sin. You can think of it as, as a window. If, if you have windows in a house and they're, they're covered with shades, there's no light that can get inside. And so Jesus makes this warning in verse 35. He says, make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. What does that mean? He's giving them a stern warning here. In the Greek, it's, it's more of like, a, hey, beware, like warning signs going off everywhere, like beware, hold up just a minute. You have to get this right. Cause Jesus knew they would deny that they're blind. Like they, they sit like you and I do when we hear him talking to the Pharisees, like he's not talking to me, right? That's what's going on here. He knew they would think he's talking about somebody else and he, he's warning them like, watch out. There's danger ahead because spiritually blind people don't even know that they're blind. Sometimes they even think they're the only ones that can see. It's a strong warning to like a, like a, a call to like this, this self examination, like make sure that the light you think you have isn't actually darkness. This, this kind of self deception, it, it marks every system of, of like a false belief apart from the gospel of Jesus. People that think they're enlightened, but they're actually in darkness. Those lost in darkness, these, these false systems of belief, they imagine themselves to be completely enlightened. In other words, 
what they think is, is truth is actually a lie. I mean, think about this. Did you know, I'm going to blow your mind, you ready? Did you know that everyone is wrong about something? Yes, you. I know it's hard to believe. We don't want to think that we believe some things that aren't true, right? But you're wrong about something. No one's right about everything. There's something that you are absolutely wrong about. And here's the kicker. You know what being wrong feels like? Feels like being right. Because you don't know that you're wrong. We deceive. That's how, that's how deceptive we are. But there's, there's one thing that we can't afford to get wrong. There's nothing scarier than being wrong about the most important thing in our lives, and that is who Jesus is. See, see these opponents of Jesus, they have this worldview that's, that's fundamentally flawed. And yet, they're absolutely confident of the truth of their view. They're on the opposite wrong side of things and they, they, they can't see it. The most important truth of all. See, sinners who think the darkness they're in is light or are in a deadly and dangerous situation. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter one. He says, yes, they knew God but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, listen to this, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. They traded the truth about God for a lie. This used to be us, every single one of us. This might still be some of us in, in the room. And if this doesn't sound like the world we, we live in today, I don't know what does. People trading truth for a lie, seeing things completely backwards. And we keep slipping further and further and further down that road. But, but this is the true wokeism, having your eyes open to the truth, your, your life illuminated, your spiritual eyes open to the light of Jesus. So many people walking around in complete darkness thinking they can see. It's just like Jesus, a couple of chapters ago in chapter eight, he used kind of a, a similar phrase. He said, he said, pay attention to how you hear. He's saying, listen, warning, warning, warning. I, I know you, you're testing me and you're asking for, for more signs and you're, you're doubting and you're hating or whatever. But you're seeing it backwards. And then in verse 36, he says, if you're filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. So now he points out that accepting Jesus, right, as, as Lord of, of your life and, and, you know, proclaiming that he is the son of God, he is the Messiah, it illuminates your understanding, it lights up your entire life. But if, for those unwilling to repent, and turn from the sin, you're in darkness. The gift of sight opens you up 
to limitless blessing in this life and, and for all of eternity. His language here is pretty big. He's talking about your whole life, your, your entire body being full of light, no part of darkness in it. You see, in our society, again, truth has been abandoned for this, this black hole of, of shifting public perception. There's no objective, definitive truth, only what each individual deems is true for themselves. So, so the challenge that we face as the church is we have to somehow get people to see that there is no escape from the responsibility that each individual has to, to answer this question, what are you going to do with Jesus? We all have to face the truth and respond to it. Jesus is telling us, like, the, the, the light is, is obvious, but so many people's eyes are closed. They live in darkness. This is the, the ultimate reality, the ultimate truth for every single person, because in the end, God will judge every single person based on how they answer that question. It's the only question that matters. And so our role as the church is to preach the truth of the gospel, make it clear What's at stake? It is a life and death situation, not just in this life, for all of eternity. What are the two things they say never talk about at Thanksgiving dinner? Politics and religion, right? Now I'll agree, politics is probably a bad idea, but religion, where, where do we get this, this idea that discussing spiritual things is taboo? We all, we all fall for it, right? That's what our culture wants, to, to paint us as, as kind of these wackos, make us ashamed of our, our beliefs and our faith, make us at least afraid to talk about them to, to people. And we've bought into it. We've allowed our, our spiritual lives to be dumbed down to this, this weak watered down, shallow, cultural Christianity that isn't supposed to be too intense, right? Isn't supposed to get too weird or, or offend too many people. When we have a world around us in complete darkness, desperately in need of the light that we carry. New Testament scholar Daryl Bach says it this way, to pursue every other avenue of life with diligence and energy while ignoring the soul is to produce people whose lives may be full of activity, but whose souls are empty shells, houses waiting to be filled with something. Hollow people often live shallow lives. If any discussion should fill the public square, it's that of religion. The possibility of the existence of light means that discussion about where it can be found should proceed with vigor for everyone. That means if, if, if there's people in darkness around us, people that are, that are destined to spend eternity separated from, from God in a real tormenting place called hell, if there's this, this possibility for light and life and eternal life, it is our responsibility to shout it everywhere we go, to live it out. We carry with us the answer, the solution. Jesus commanded it. 
before he ascended into heaven. He said, go, make disciples. Make disciples where? Everywhere. Of whom? Everyone. This is what being a Jesus follower is all about. He said, take up your cross, follow me. Disciples make disciples. So here's our takeaways today. First, you got to receive the light. That's Jesus' first point. He's like, receive. The, the light is right here in front of you. You have to open your eyes. Did you know for Jesus, this is truth, there is no automatic inner light. Light has to be received. We are born into darkness. People have to come to the point that their, their eyes are open to the fact they've been living in darkness. And like he said, this is back in verse 23. He said, you're either with me or you're against me. There's no neutral here. There's no kind of light and kind of dark, right? It's, it's light or darkness. It's either in or out, truth or lie. There, there is no neutrality. So I have a question for you today. Which side are you on? And I would echo Jesus' warning. Beware that the the light you think you have isn't actually darkness. You might say, I'm good, man. I, I prayed a prayer when I was eight. Jesus would say, beware. This week's City 7 is number three. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Since all have sinned and the wages of sin is death, Jesus had to die on the cross to pay for my fine pay the fine for my sin so I could be right with God. We, we can't be right with God on our own. We, we, some, someone in darkness can't have a relationship with the king of light. We've all sinned. No one's perfect. We've all fallen short of that standard of perfection. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. God sent him to the earth to live a perfect life, to, to be that ultimate sacrifice once and for all for all the sins of mankind. Now we have an opportunity to receive the light, to, to not just pray a prayer, not just become a Christian, but to, to give our life to Jesus, to make him Lord of our lives. It's a decision that every single one of us has to make. That's, that's the truth of the matter. There's no getting around it. We're judged on what we do with that question. Are you gonna make him Lord of your life or are you gonna keep playing games, keep doing things your own way. So, so I'm asking you, make a decision to the, today to follow Jesus. And we as your, your church family, we wanna help you grow in your relationship with him, to, to learn what it means to truly follow him, to live for him. We'd like you to let us know about it. You can do that on our app, on our connect form. Gotta receive the light. And then after you've received the light, what is our responsibility as bearers of light? It is to be the light. Be the light. We've received the light and now we have to shine the light. That's how it, it works. But if we're going to light up the world, we have to burn for him. We can't hide it. Hide it under a bushel, no. We have to, to let it shine for the world to see. See, see this lamp that Jesus is talking about, it's no candle, right? A, a, 
A candle burns by like consuming itself. It melts down. You have to replace it, whatever. This is a oil lamp. We are to be a lamp because he intends for us to minister to and serve the people around us with, with his illumination fueled by a constant infilling of the Holy Spirit. You, you have to have something to burn. To burn for him, you, you need fuel to burn. Following Jesus has never been about this, this half-hearted commitment, right? It's, it's an all-in sort of thing. We have to live for him. He's not a, a side project. He's not something we just add to our lives. He is your life as a Christian. He has to become your, your primary identity, your primary calling, no matter what vocation you're in. You are first a disciple of Jesus, a witness for him. So here's my question for you. How bright is your light? How bright is your light? Are you letting it shine? The gospel of Jesus isn't just about accepting Jesus into your life. It's about Jesus taking over your life. It's a, a big difference. Has he taken over your life? Or, or would you say you're, you're consumed by him? Matthew chapter five is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is making some similar points, some similar metaphors here, but this is where we get the name of our church, City Church. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This, this, is, this is the roadmap here. You let your light shine for everybody to see so they, they see your deeds, right? The fruit of your life so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is why we exist as a church, to be a city on a hill, a place of, of warmth and safety and belonging and family, a place of grace and truth, compassion, conviction, mercy and justice, word and spirit. That's what everything we do points to. We, we have to, to burn for him, to, to intentionally be downtown, a place in our city filled with darkness. This is why we teach verse by verse. We say it all the time. The same reason we do the City 7 table talk, our daily devos, our groups. We, we need something to burn in us, to take God's word seriously, to, to know what the Bible says. Like God said to, to Isaiah in chapter 66, he's looking for people with humble hearts and what? People that tremble at his word. His word, no one else's. This is why we're serious about equipping you to equip and disciple your family, to raise kids that know why they believe what they believe and set their minds and hearts on being the light when they walk in every day to the darkest of places with a rock solid faith. Parents, what version of Christianity do you want your kids living out? 
Because if you don't, they won't. Time is short and our our message is so critical. It's so crucial that that we have a church full of people that are all, all in with their faith, shining bright for the world to see. This is why we we talked about in our Project One series, the primary goal, 100% engagement, all, all in. City Church is going to be a church full of people that are on fire for him and actually living it out, giving him 100%. And make no mistake, this will change our city. It could change the world. But I can guarantee you this, it will change you. It'll change your family. How bright is your light? There's a gentleman that goes to our church. His name is Al Wise. And he is very wise. But, um, Coming off our Project One United night, that first Wednesday night when some of you came and you very first kind of laid out where we're going as a church, he, he um, that night kind of had a, a vision from the Lord as he reflected on this new season where God's taken us as a church. I want to read it to you. He said that this is what kind of the Lord allowed him to, to see. He says, the sun was setting in the west. Darkness was falling on the skyline of Lubbock. I asked the Lord, If the darkness was a darkness of evil, to which he replied, no, it's darkness of sunset. In order for the light to shine, darkness must fall. I looked at the eastern sky to see a strange bright light appearing. Somehow I knew that this light was the city church. The light briefly dimmed as hundreds of smaller lights appeared in the background. I asked the Lord if these were other churches joining uh, with us to bring light to the city. He replied, no, these are all individual lights within the city church. Only when they come together does the light shine its brightest. And as I heard that, and especially as I'm studying for this message, God reminded me of, of a dream that I had. It's only happened twice in my life. It, it, I don't know if you call it a vision or a dream, but it was very vivid and very clear. And even in the midst of the dream as I'm asleep, I'm super aware that God's speaking to me. Like this is a a holy moment. And I'd been kind of lost, you know, between churches. I was out of ministry. Uh, This was in 2018. Didn't really know what God was calling me to do. Didn't know if I wanted to do construction or go back into ministry or whatever. Um, it was a month before Clayton reached out about possibly starting a church. So this was, this was before any talk of, of the city. And I, I had this, this dream, and I immediately woke up and started typing into my phone. So this, this is the note. May 29, 2018, 2 in the morning, okay? So I, I won't get into all of it with you, but I, w- I was in this kind of abyss, kind of floating, and then I'm trying to reach for this mantle and I'm falling and this white cloth in my mouth and I get to the mantle and a hand touches me from this. It, it, was, it was very cool. And I'm still trying to untangle some of this and try to figure out what exactly God was speaking to me. But in, at the end of the dream, I asked God, God, what does this mean? What does this mean, Lord? He said, the finding of the human lights. 
How bright is your light? God was calling me in this dream to a new level of sacrifice and getting uncomfortable and leaving my kind of old safe ways behind and stepping into a new calling, a new season, a new anointing. What's he saying to you as we step into this new season? Are you all in? How surrendered are you to his spirit? Do you tremble at his word? What's he asking of you? What what have you not laid on the altar? Is he he leading you maybe to get uncomfortable, walking away from safety, stepping into a a new calling, a new anointing to do his work on this earth? As, As Jesus said there at the end, if you're filled with light, then your whole life will be radiant. Would you bow your heads with me as we kind of close. I just want to invite you to ask God. Ask him, what, what is he calling you to? Where's your level of commitment to him? Are you all in for your faith? Are you truly shining bright so the world can see? Or are you hiding it? What do you need to do to kind of punch up the brightness a little bit? God, forgive us. Forgive me. For wasting so many years hiding my life. God, I pray that you would light something in all of us, God, a, a fire. Not, not to get on some kind of emotional high, but God, a slow, steady burn for you. God, change the course of our life. I pray that that would be our primary calling, God, our primary identity, that we are children of God and we carry a message that the world is dying to hear. We owe it to them, God, to to share the light. We don't have to be weird. We don't have to, you know, get a megaphone on some street corner yelling at people. But God, we can live for you and we can let our light shine bright just like it said in Romans 1 so that everyone would praise our Heavenly Father just because they see how we live our lives. God, let us shine brightly. I pray you let us each know what that means for us. God, what can we do? Because we want to shine for you, God, everywhere we go, even in the darkest of places. In Jesus' name, amen.